0: Hey, it's recording. Hello. Hi again, tomato. Welcome back to Check Displaced, the podcast where we started recording the podcast, didn't know that our computer was unplugged, everything stopped recording, we rebooted our computer, and then we talked for another hour about intersexuality. How are you?
1: Uh, I, I
0: learned a lot, so I feel good. What are we talking about today? Well, this is actually a podcast, not just about intersectionality. It's also about reading through Check, Please, the webcomic, strip by strip, and talking about how it works on a strip by strip, and also a sort of overarching narrative basis. Today, we are going to be talking about comic number 1.14, The Closet Story number 2, which was originally posted on January 20th, 2014. And there is a blog post about this one. Before we hop into the summary of the episode, I want to say that our poll is now live. I'm not sure if it'll still be open at the time when this specific episode posts, but if it is, you should vote in it. Please be advised that the uh, topic that's winning right now is our favorite weird Check Please fanfics. Which, to be honest, I kind of don't want to talk about. So, if the poll is still open, it closes July 12th, please go online and vote for something else. Vote for, like, Q&A. That'll be an easy one. It's been a while since I've read some Check, Please fanfic, so tell us to talk about something else. I mean, there are definitely some Check, Please fanfics that are, like, real weird. Not bad or low-quality, necessarily, Some of them are bad or low quality. However, what I'm really interested in is like fanfics that have a bizarre conceit, or they're written in such a way that like defies logic. However, the conviction of the author, the passion the author has for the premise, makes them just riveting. Even though they have some like cuckoo premise that like makes no sense. That's what I would be looking to dive into. Again, not in like a sporking way, more in like a literary analysis way.
1: That does sound fun. I should go through my history on AO3 and
0: see what I've read. There's not much in this comic. It's effectively an extended monologue. Biddy and Shitty are hanging out on a bench on the pathway that is beside the Samwell River that runs through campus, and Biddy comes out to Shitty by reading him a long sort of meandering statement off of note cards. Eventually, Biddy says, I'm gay. Shitty is very accepting. Biddy says he's never come out to anyone or indeed even said those words before, even to himself. Biddy is obviously very nervous. So Shitty says, you didn't think we were going to beat you up or something. Biddy kind of hesitates in a way that requires Shitty to counteract by saying, I'm the most accepting man alive. Everyone comes out to me. And then Biddy is like, I love you, shitty. And that's the end of the comic.
1: (laughs) So we again propose to hold our discourse discussion until after we unpack a little bit of what's going on in the comic. But the discourse, I think, is most of it. So I guess we'll see how that works out. Um, So
0: the first thing we were thinking about is how this comic was received and then how rereading it felt. I think it's important to foreground this conversation by saying that this is a widely positively received episode of the comic. People think that this is really well done, or at least that has been the consensus for most of the time that I've been hanging around Check Please fandom. When coming out starts to really proliferate within the plot of Check Please, some of those instances are critiqued in comparison to this one, where people say, oh, it's really amazing that the comic fucked this up because they got it right back when Biddy came out to shitty at the end of semester one. So everything we're going to be talking about here is basically grounded in an overall really like positive reaction and positive reception to this strip. I think this is something that like really gained a lot of trust for many readers where they thought that like these issues were going to be handled deftly because they were happy with how they were handled here. Is that how we feel about it in 2020? Keep listening to learn more. And I just wanted to bring up a couple of questions
1: before we really dive in that I noted from the blog post as well. So we kind of have this like interesting overarching framework before we dive into the strip itself. The first is this sentence that Ngozi says, how to get her sentimental is by talking about, the stupid adamantium-strength friendship slowly building between these five dumb hockey players. Do you believe that they're friends? Like, how much of their friendship have we actually seen building, like, in the comic itself? Or is this perspective of their friendship built up primarily in the extras?
0: Oh, it's built up primarily in the extras. How much you believe this is really based on how much you are reading, like, the ask where they're all kind of, like, sitting around getting high together or having breakfast together or going to the stop and shop together, or whatever. It seems like she's writing this blog post to an audience that she expects is following all of those extras. Which
1: I don't think is at all the case when we get later in the comic. It was also quite interesting to me that she talks about these five dumb hockey friendships as the core of the comic. I think they are. I'm really curious when that starts to spread out and change. I mean, I think we'll get to it. But it's interesting to see what the narrative seems to consider its own core and how that shifts. So right now it seems like the friendship is part of the core, even though that's actually like not that present in the narrative itself. And Gozi mentioned Shitty is definitely a confidant for both Jack and Biddy. At this time, when I first read the comic, I didn't think Jack was, was LGBT or I wasn't sure. After we find out that Jack and Biddy get together, I assumed that this moment meant that Shitty knew about Jack's sexuality. And I, I reread the comic after the end of year two, and that was how I read this moment. How did you read it? Because you came in a little bit later.
0: Yeah, so at the point when I read this comic, she had already just that. So there were a lot of extant headcanons and fanfics that were being written or were circulating on Tumblr at the time when I was getting into the comic. But I think it took a little while for this revelation to sort of seep in. However, I'm pretty sure she said this in like a live stream. She pretty much just said, Chitty doesn't know about Jack's sexuality. They've never talked about it and then i don't know i read that pretty early on so i never like labored under this assumption having said that however it would make everything make so much more sense it would just like deepen everything wouldn't it Something that's really interesting that I'm only just understanding now is that Jack and Shitty are meant to be best friends, but I don't believe they've, like, up to this point, really interacted one-on-one at all, and you would have no way of knowing that unless you had read Ngozi saying it on the blog somewhere outside of a strip. It's purely informed. It's not depicted at all. It gets depicted a little more later, but why based on the text itself, would you presume that Shitty would be a confidant for Jack? Both because Jack doesn't seem like somebody who naturally discloses anything, and also because he and Shitty, just based on like the 11 strips up to this point, do not seem particularly close. Actually, I think it's 14 strips. Doesn't matter. Seems like a million.
1: This is part of what can happen when you're writing, and especially when you're updating something as you write it right? Like your understandings of who the characters are can shift. That's totally fine. Um, And it's a normal part of the creative process, especially like I said, if it's something that's sort of updating as it goes rather than something that you finish and then polish. You can't go back to the beginning and, and restructure things so that they are more sewn in from the beginning. So it makes sense that there might be like shifts in how this friendship is portrayed. But it doesn't speak that well of sort of like the narrative portrayal of these friendships, right, in the comic itself, that that's not clear. It also really makes me wonder, what does a best friend mean? Which we'll talk about a little later. But if Jack and Shitty are best friends and Shitty doesn't know Jack's sexuality, that's a huge part of Jack's identity and life. That means that he doesn't know about Kent, that he doesn't know, I mean, who knows how much he knows about Jack's OD, if anything, who knows how much he knows about Jack's life before Sam. Well, I'm not saying that like a best friendship has to encompass those things. I don't know. I don't, I have good friends. I don't have anyone I call my best friend. So I don't really know like what that entails for any given particular person. But I find it really curious that someone who is allegedly the person who knows you best in the universe doesn't know these like very important things about you and if that's the case what does friendship mean to jack like what does best friendship mean in this comic i don't know
0: a couple episodes ago we talked about how ngozi has basically clarified to her audience at this point that she wants to keep the comic itself focused on the plot and the character development so to speak and she wants to keep the extras and so on and so forth focused on the kind of slice of life rose hanging. And out hijinks which is fine except that if the plot of the comic and the point of the comic is all of the friendships and like the social bonding then oughtn't the slice of life stuff be part of the characterization that's happening like within the comic jack and shitty has not like exchange two words to each other up to this point in the comic, So I just, whatever. It's just purely like the author informing as an aside. I do think she has at this point a conception of the larger role that Jack will come to play. And I'm starting to feel as we creep toward the end of this first semester that... Not necessarily softening Jack in attitude, but maybe like rounding out his character and demonstrating that like, oh, he does have this really close friendship. He does have a confidant who he actually tells things. He does have emotional reactions when Biddy says he left a pie baking in the library and runs away. Those are all things that would make the weight of the things he does later in the comic much more significant and much richer, but like they're not happening here. And again, I understand she's making this strip by strip, so I can't fault her for like not having like every little thing locked into place. But I'm relatively certain that she like has the general shape of like what's gonna happen with Jack in the future. And it would just really have helped her if she had done a bit of this.
1: Not to pull out my favorite what genre is the story anyway bit, but I'm really curious, if the friendships aren't the plot, what is the plot? I mean, obviously the plot is like, Biddy goes to school and plays hockey. But it's really interesting to see that that sort of series of events, like this understanding of plot as a causative series of events in this kind of story, which is so relationship-focused. I don't necessarily only mean romantic relationship. I mean all kinds of relationship-focused. It's really weird to kind of see these two tracks develop where... The characterization is integral to understand the events, but as you said, it's sort of been sidelined in this other arena versus the actual series of like, Biddy gets an assist and then he comes out to his friend Shitty and then they have a party and a mysterious Cowlick shows up. Like without the relationships to ground those in, those don't matter. Like what is the engine on which the story moves? And it seems like it's feelings, but then when you actually look at the narrative itself, it's very much the authorial hand it's just kind of like throwing things in and seeing what happens because without the extras you can't make sense of those events otherwise kind of a curious choice but because when i was first engaging with this i was reading all the extras as they came out i was reading it all as one big riotous thing i didn't feel that lack now going back and looking it's very evident
0: i mean for my part i think you could summarize the plot of the comic as Biddy wins which isn't really much of a plot but i think that's basically it. I guess everything that happens in this comic is just moving toward Biddy winning.
1: This is what I mean by, like, what propulsion is the plot using? Because Biddy wins is an okay plot if I'm really invested in Biddy winning. So that's why for those first two years, for me, because I had this, like, very immersive experience of the comic where Biddy felt like a more complex character than I'm currently seeing on the page, I was invested in him winning because the relationships were the sort of like meat of the issue. It's nice when like people you care about, even fictional people, it's nice when they do well. And it's nice when they do well over obstacles. At some point, Biddy winning became no longer something I was rooting for. And I'm curious to see like when and how that happens.
0: Something that's interesting about the sort of position of Biddy winning is that in order to win you have to like be winning against something like for it to have value something has to lose that's the exchange that creates like significance in winning itself not to get too deep into this but like all right so biddy gets the guy The reason why people write love triangles is because the satisfaction of one person winning by getting the guy means a lot more when a third person has lost. So by not having that kind of structure inherent here as a romance, it just kind of feels like, oh okay, it doesn't really feel like Biddy has won something. He's just kind of been given it. He hasn't really like competed for it. He's just gotten it. And then we have, you know, winning in the very literal sense of hockey, both at the end of year three and the end of year four. But the opponents that those hockey teams win against are nobody I mean, they're the Seattle Schooners and, I don't know, the the Brown men's hockey team. The homophobic Browns men hockey team. Because those teams aren't developed in any way, who gives a shit that they're beaten and the characters we like win? So maybe that's part of why this just doesn't feel very satisfying. I mean, I haven't seen like that many sports things or movies. Like, I've never seen, like, The Mighty Ducks or whatever, but I have seen the South Park episode based on it. This is one of the reasons why, you know, you'll get a couple scenes of, like, characterization of the other team where you get, you know, the captain of the other team or the coach of the other team or a couple of the players on the other team are, like, humanized and, like, sketched out a little so that when your team wins... It has some kind of value. If not, it's just nothing. You haven't beaten anybody. You haven't, like, been challenged. You're just handed a victory. Like, narratively. I'm not talking about in real life. Like, I don't, I very much don't believe that, like, in real life, you must struggle to have success. I think that that's a capitalist narrative that's bullshit. I'm talking about, like, narrative satisfaction.
1: Narratives don't have to follow this structure, but if the conclusion is this character wins, you've already borrowed from that structure, and to not fully engage with what that structure means is dissatisfying. That's one kind of conflict that can sort of like pump up the feelings of a romance and make it more exciting when two characters get together. There's, of course, lots and lots of different narrative structures about romance. It doesn't have to be a love triangle. For me, the reason that the relationship became exciting had very little to do with the actual characters, I think, and had much more to do with this comic's relationship to other kinds of media that I was watching, feeling about at the time. I've talked before about how I didn't really trust that Jack and Biddy were ever gonna get together because like I've been burned by genre media. That being burned feeling over and over again by certain kinds of narratives, AKA real life homophobia, is the reason that Jack and Biddy getting together was really satisfying for me. That was the obstacle. It wasn't even necessarily homophobia in the comic, although I think homophobia in the comic was part of why I was excited that they got together but I think it was like these two characters who I had grown to care about getting together in a way that I found satisfying at the time what they're winning against is like other kinds of media which is a really weird meta reason to be satisfied about two characters getting together and now that I'm reading the comic outside of the context of like 2015 or whatever um 2014 whenever they got together
0: 2015. Well, okay. So in their world, it was 2015. In our world, it was 2016. What I'm discovering
1: upon rereading is that like, oh, maybe all of those feelings I had about these two characters growing to love each other, like had almost nothing to do with the comic. And what does that mean? Like, what does that mean about the comic? Thinking about homophobia in the comic is a very important part of figuring out that narrative satisfaction and then dissatisfaction. We've talked before about whether homophobia exists in this comic and how it does. And I think that actually this strip is a really useful place to start thinking about that in some ways. Biddy makes a comment,
0: circling back around to our previous discussion about best friendship, while he is explaining his coming out rationale to shitty. And he says, y'all are my best friends. My reaction to this is complicated. Partly because Biddy has known these people for four months. Also because three strips ago, he said that his mother was his best friend. Also, I think this term best friend is like basically meaningless. I don't want to characterize it as childish or as like juvenile, which is something that I have seen people say about the idea of best friendship. But it's also like hugely amorphous and doesn't have like a particular social meaning. I understand what Biddy is trying to communicate or rather perhaps what the author is trying to communicate about Biddy's relationship with the rest of the hockey team. But it's also just like a completely weightless concept to me that is further devalued by the fact that he hasn't known these guys for that long. And also he's already applied this term to his mother, like within the past couple strips. I can both understand the feeling that comes out of wanting to be like hyper enthusiastic and excited about like new friendships that you're making at college. At the same time, I fully believe that it's something Biddy would say and maybe even
1: believe. And I can say as someone who left my high school and was like, I'm never talking to any of you people again. So I very much had this like, goodbye, new life, never looking back feeling when I went to college. And I made really close friends really fast as well. I fully believe that Biddy would characterize that as best friendships. But what I'm curious about is that because of the ways that things unfold and because no characters ever seem to have a past before Samwell besides like one or two you, only, only traumatic incidents like getting locked in a closet and ODing like those are the things we know about people before Samwell we end up getting this really weird narrative where like only Samwell friendships are true friendships and like only I mean I don't think that's purposeful at all right but this is just sort of the consequence of not engaging with people as full people who existed before coming to like the magical you know one in four or whatever land. So you end up with this really weird narrative about friendship that I don't fully understand how to parse and so that's how you kind of get to this moment where Biddy says y'all are my best friends but What that means is extremely amorphous, ambiguous, uncertain.
0: I feel like there are some issues this comic has with like superlatives. Everybody has to be best friends. Everybody has to be soulmates. Everybody has to win. Everybody has to be like the best ever. It's never good enough for somebody to just be like good enough on their own terms. Like, he doesn't have to say, y'all are my best friends. He could just say, like, I've gotten really close to you guys over the past couple months, or I'm really enjoying spending time with you all, or y'all, or whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be best friends. And I guess the thing that I'm a little torn on here is... How much of this is, Biddy as a character would be literally this enthusiastic and say some dumb shit like this? And how much of it is the comic trying to sell that they are his best friends as per what we just spent 20 minutes discussing?
1: When I first read it, I definitely read it at total face value. They are his best friends. Isn't that nice? Hooray. On looking at it again, I think it's a much more brittle statement.
0: I also think like, if these are his best fucking friends, it's like, shitting in Ransom and Holster, like leave Samwell, and then like never speaks to them again. The comic doesn't do any work, or doesn't do a lot of work, to show them maintaining a relationship once they're out of his, like, periphery.
1: But at that point, he has a future fiancé. And as we all know, the answer to all life's problems is having a
0: relationship. So why on earth would he keep up with his friendships? That's silly. I'm just saying, I don't know, maybe there was some version of this comic that never got written where it really was about this core group of people And then the author got bored of that core group of people because she wanted to draw new nose shapes. I can understand that. Nobody necessarily wants to do the same exact thing every single day for four years of Biddy's college comic.
1: Right. But then the same level of attention and detail was not put into creating those new characters. So that's where that kind of divide comes. I think personally, if there had been a thoughtful introduction of new characters, it's possible I could have gotten invested in them. But by that point, the extras were no longer. So it was a very
0: different... She kept doing extras, but more of them were like behind a paywall. The types of extras she was doing kind of shifted. So it was no longer sort of like disseminating information and they weren't interactive anymore.
1: I guess that's what I mean. I mean, yeah, she would draw things of like, she would draw like cute pictures of Jack and Biddy, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't serving the same purpose.
0: Yeah, it, it wasn't serving the same purpose. I guess what I'd say is like, my point here is not to critique the new characters she introduces. And I will when they're introduced because most of them I think are horrible. However, my point is that like, that process kind of inherently weakens... What the comic is trying to assert here in this strip and in this first semester, that this is a group of best friends, like best bros. They've all got each other's backs, like tight forever.
1: Uh, speaking of which, sort of, Viddy's never come out to
0: anyone before, including himself? I don't think I don't of- he's never come out to anyone before. I think is that he's never said the words, I'm gay before.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether... For me, I read this as he's never come out to anyone before. I, mean, obviously, I think it's both. I think it's both. Okay. I mean, I think that he definitely, like, has known that he's gay, obviously, right? But the idea that he hasn't said... I don't know why this rubbed me the wrong way on this reading, because it didn't the first time around. I was like, sure, he's never said it before. Very relatable. When I reread this, thinking about Biddy in this sort of interpersonal web, for some reason, the fact that he's never said the words, I'm gay before, even to just himself... On the one hand, that's fine. Sometimes that's how it happens. You don't really have the ability to say or think those words until you're trying to communicate something about yourself to someone else. That's a real thing that can happen. On the other hand, when I look at this moment in the broader stretch of check please, I got really frustrated because bitty sexuality only ever seems to exist in relationship to other people it's true that sexuality is in some way and sometimes about other people because it's about your partner or it's about how you're seen in the world or it's about how you move through the world and who you identify with and how you present yourself. Like there's all sorts of ways that sexuality is interpersonal, but sexuality is also an aspect of the self in this moment because we never really get to see Biddy like be queer in and of itself. We always see him in relationship to romance We don't see him as someone whose queerness is like part of his identity necessarily. Certainly it's not something that's explored, like his place in the community is not explored. We talked a little bit about that before I found this moment to be sort of like indicative of a pattern that would then unfold. So even though this moment it's fine, there's nothing wrong with saying like, I've never said that to anyone before. I trust you. Here you go. Here's this information about me. For me, this moment began like it sparked this intense reaction because it begins this pattern of Biddy's sexuality only ever existing in relationship to others. I don't know. I didn't expect that strong
0: reaction. Okay, well, let me clarify something that has nothing to do with what you just said, if only because I think what I said was kind of like muddled up. I think the reading here is, yes, Biddy has come out to himself. He knows he's gay. He's never come out to other people. He's never said the words I'm gay before to anyone else or like out loud to himself. I guess that raises a point about my reaction to the situation that you're describing, which is like, what is the value of vocalizing I'm gay to yourself? Like not just knowing it, but saying it. Maybe... People have different thought processes where vocalizing these things helps them actualize it. But to me, the sort of emotional and intellectual understanding of myself supersedes needing to, like, say something to myself. Having said all of that, I think the situation that you're describing in terms of bitty sexuality existing in a sort of social context or being socially dependent, I don't know, I think there's a bit of a tension here between that and also the fact that coming out throughout this comic is structured as a sort of individualistic self-actualization project. I think this is a really messy, kind of like thorny topic that we'll end up like getting really into at the end of the strip. But I do agree that it's an interesting choice that he has him say that he's never come out to anyone before even vocalizing it to himself.
1: What I will touch on is that my reaction to this is definitely impacted by my own experience of course um and for me vocalizing things to myself isn't that important but writing things to myself is important like i personally don't usually know what i think until i write it down so that's often how i like work through stuff i think about biddy as someone who talks to work through things but so much of what we see is him narrativizing his own life to himself right through the vlog, with other people. So it seems to me that saying things to and about himself is important to him because he does it all the time. I also think that if she just hadn't said, even to myself, this like wouldn't have occurred to me. He could have just said, I've never said that to anyone before and it would have this emotional impact of like, I trust you. So there's something in pointing out that he hasn't vocalized that thing to himself that makes it, it's kind of important.
0: I find it weird, maybe, that Biddy was not, like, online. Honestly, this is happening in the fall of 2013. Like, the fact that this kid who's a vlogger would not have been on, like, Tumblr seems weird. Yeah, same. Or LiveJournal before it. The idea that he literally had no venue in which to like perform his queerness or confess his, his gayness seems either unrealistic or indicative of his character in a way that speaks to something that ranges from he's deeply repressed, like well more than I tend to think of him or he's just like not that resourceful.
1: I find it similarly difficult to believe that someone who's so internet savvy, according to the text, wouldn't have been able to find, like, gay men's forums, which certainly existed at the time. I find it weird that someone who is so interested in narrativizing and publicizing himself on the internet, like, wouldn't have gone searching for things. Now, you can make... An argument which has nothing to do with the actual text which is like maybe they only had one family computer and maybe he didn't want the history, to, I don't know, like whatever. You could come up with sort of like interesting premises which could be why he didn't explore those options um, and sure, write a fic about it. I'll read it. Sounds good. But At the very least, it's indicative that that he lacks the desire to communicate with other people about this on the basis of a shared identity because it's not something he seeks out online. It's not something he seeks out at Samwell doesn't seem to be something that crosses his mind at all. And that's just really interesting. Um, It's certainly not, I mean, certainly different from what my experience was as like a weirdo on the internet in 2013. So
0: I don't know. It also, I think, fits with the pattern within this comic of everything being sort of like the first, the best, the only. I don't think this this moment would have had less emotional weight or been less valuable if it was structured as... I was afraid to come out to you guys because you're hockey players. And it left off the, and this is the first time I'm ever coming out to anybody.
1: Just because the internet is part of this comic. Like, you're the first person I've ever come out to who I knew in real life. That still has a first to it. It still feels important. But it would be much more reflective of the process that I saw in my life, right, where people would sort of like practice online and then and then come out in real life or whatever. Yeah, I think this idea of superlatives and also things being perfect on the first try isn't something I've really put together before. You said that right now, but I'm really like it really shook my shook me a little bit as I started thinking about like that as a major a major thing this comic is
0: interested in. So then Shitty's reaction is to say, oh, cool, bro. And then, thanks for trusting me with the moment. Appreciate it. Nobody in real life talks how Shitty talks. This is something that I am realizing in rereading. Like, I know a lot of people who are very much like Shitty to a T, Nobody actually talks like they are a character in a webcomic. Like, nobody would just say, appreciate it. You'd say, I appreciate it. Well, what I will say is I
1: could see someone talking like Shitty, but that, it would be an affectation.
0: I don't know. It's just, whatever. I mean, listen, I like Shitty. I think he's a really interesting character. You've written down, did this moment create Shitty's reputation as a wokest bro? And I think it probably did in combination with a lot of stuff that's, like, in the extras. Because I believe she's already hitting on things about how he's, like, a... Politics, gender studies, double major, and his mom is a professor, and she made him read Toni Morrison. And his dad was, I think, the CFO of a hedge fund, or he was something at a hedge fund, and he ended up in jail. And Shitty's words about that guy are not very kind. So I think there's a lot of material in the background that is structuring him as this like woke bro type.
1: Yeah. Oh, I I agree that the bulk of his characterization at this point has come from the extras, including that aspect. I still think this is the moment where in the actual narrative, that part of him comes to the forefront.
0: Um, And I mean, I think it is demonstrated that Biddy chooses Shitty to come out to. He's not coming out to Ransom and Holster and he's not coming out to Jack. So either this means that Biddy presumes Shitty will have like the highest chance of reacting positively or maybe he's just closest to Shitty, which I also believe at this point or maybe it's a little of both.
1: I had a strong reaction to Shitty's reaction also and I wasn't expecting it because I remember thinking fondly of this comic. And I want to preface, before I get into my strong reaction, you've written, because I ranted a little bit in our notes, you've written, it's understandable that Shitty has this reaction, and I agree. Like, I think that I think that Shitty is the type of person who would have this reaction. Like, I actually think as characterization goes, it totally makes sense. What I feel weird about is, as we mentioned at the beginning, that this comic has a largely positive reception, meaning that this is, like seen as an appropriate way to react to someone coming out to you or was at one point and that the narrative doesn't push on it or question it and in fact maybe like uses it as a model like I just feel really weird about it so (laughs) I'm just going to quote a few things that Shitty says after Biddy comes out, some of which are very nice, some of which are complicated. So we have, oh, cool, bro, and thanks for trusting me with the moment, man. Appreciate it, which is its own sort of try-hard situation.
0: Appreciate it.
1: Biddy says, maybe I was scared, you know. I haven't had the best experiences with sports teams and being anything other than, well, a bro. Before my dad got the head coach job and we moved towns, high school was a nightmare. He then says, I didn't know what y'all would do. And Shitty says, for fuck's sake, did you think we were going to beat you up or something? But he says, well, and then Shitty says, bits, Jesus Christ, we're your fucking teammates, your friends, Ransom and Holster, literally spend half their lives looking out for you on the ice and off. And Jack does too, though the guy hates to admit it. We have your back, man, always. And then Shitty's like, and I'm also like the only man anyone's come out to at Samwell for, you know, whatever. So, I just kind of want to, like, dig into that a little bit. Like, for fuck's sake, did you think we were going to beat you up or something? Obviously, yes.
0: Like, I'm—I don't know, what do you make of this moment? Yeah, he obviously thought it was one of a few different possibilities. I believe if he definitely thought they were, he wouldn't be coming out to shitty right now. However, it's certainly in his mind that they could. Possibly that's also why he's not saying this to the whole group, but isolated, just shitty. The sort of least mask of the group, (laughs) who's probably, like, least likely to beat him up. Having said that, it's like, yeah, obviously, like, it is well is basically a tacit way of saying, yes, I thought it's possible that you might. It's also, like, uh, I don't know how much of this we can do in this episode because, oh, man, there's so much. But, like, this comic really picks and chooses when it wants to, like, be subverting or upholding what professional hockey is actually like. And the fact is, I think there are a lot of pockets of that sport where, yes, the guys who you've been friends with, who have been looking out for you as like a frog straight dude would all of a sudden change their attitude and maybe become hostile to you if they learned this new information. Shitty's reaction of... I can't believe you thought we would do that is understandable to me, like you noted. The kind of person shitty is would believably have that reaction. First of all, because he obviously knows he wouldn't beat Biddy up. So the idea that Biddy thinks of him as somebody who might is jarring. The same way that like, you know, I don't want to be Thought of in certain ways. So when somebody suggests that maybe I'm like that, it's very jarring to me because I have my own self conception. So Shitty's going through a little bit of that. It's also the case that, like, Shitty is a white dude who grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. I guess he grew up in like Brookline. So he spent his entire life in a culture that means he does not have access to Biddy's frame of mind and he just can't understand, or maybe it didn't occur to him to try to access Biddy's thoughts like through this lens of institutional homophobia because that's not something that really weighs on him at all. So why would he have to think like that?
1: I'm completely convinced by that. As a note of characterization, I fully think that that's true about shitty. Again, I think what I started feeling really weird about is that Not only does the narrative be like completely okay with this as a response, and we know that the narrative is okay with it as a response because the narrative is attached to Biddy, and Biddy's like obviously relieved and like cool with this response, but the broader fandom discussion about this as a good response to coming out has colored my feeling about it in retrospect, even though at the time I, like I said, remember feeling like this is a good thing. Yeah, as discussed, uh, hockey room dynamics are homophobic, so that doesn't mean anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's also, like, this is, I think, the earliest instance of the fear of coming out being dismissed by the comic. Yeah. Like, words are being put into the mouth of this, like, straight white dude as the voice of reason saying... You had no reason to be afraid because I am okay with it and I know that everybody else would be. So this starts to become a problem where every time Biddy or somebody comes out, everybody's universally okay with it. And I'm not saying that I really wanted to see some like high quality homophobia in the comic. It's just that the possibility of it keeps getting floated. And every time it gets raised, it's effectively dismissed. And I think this is like a really interesting early inflection point of Shitty basically saying to Biddy, that was never gonna happen. But the thing is like, it was never gonna happen with Shitty. Maybe it wouldn't have happened at Samwell, but, like, it is a real possibility. And the fear that Biddy has, the apprehension that's kept him from coming out to people, is a real thing that's responding to, like, an actual system of oppression that's conditioned him to, like, fear this response because it exists in the world and actually occurs. I know this is a bit of, like, circular reasoning, but... It's effectively words being put into the mouth of this straight dude telling Biddy you ought not have had that fear when I think it's possible that that fear is worth holding on to. You have to gauge this shit on like an instance by instance basis. And like, he's not always going to be in a safe space, and the fact is, this is like a real thing. I don't know. I'm starting to like sound like a crazy person.
1: You're not, you're not. And I have a proposal actually, because the way you said that kind of coalesced something for me.:
0: All right, let's hear.
1: My proposal is that the reason that this felt satisfying at the time was because of the interactive nature of the comic. And the feeling that the real world weighed on the comic in a way that's not true in later strips when it becomes much more insular and much more sort of graphic novel, just its own thing, not interacting with the world. So here, the reason that maybe this feels satisfying is because the fear of homophobia, the real world fear of homophobia, feels like it's being addressed rather than dismissed. And it's a relief for the reader and for Biddy, or this is my proposal. We can see whether it feels true, but there is a sense of relief because shitty by not being homophobic is modeling another way of being or overcoming or being an escapist alternative to or um, yeah, modeling an alternative mode of being to real-world homophobia, which feels like an ever-present actual threat because of the real-world, the, the like, actual interaction between fans and Biddy. The counterpoint to shitty is real homophobia. Therefore, the comic itself does not need to necessarily bring in actual homophobia in the comic's world in order for that dismissal to be satisfying. Later on, when the comic's not interactive and exists in its own insular world, thickly separated from the real world by like a transparent fourth wall, that's when it feels less satisfying because the threat of real homophobia isn't there and it's not recreated by homophobia in the world of the strip, even though the character's fear remains real.
0: Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. I'm trying to figure out how to vocalize this, but I think the intended reading is that shitty is being reassuring. But now in 2020, how I feel is that shitty is being dismissive.
1: Yeah, same. And I also don't know, I mean, I was in a very different place in my life and sexuality when I read the strip the first time around, because some of us had just come out to our families and it had not gone well. So, so I don't know like what my perception was at that time. I can't access that version of myself because I'm in a very different place now.
0: I do want to make what's probably like a really not that profound point, which is everybody's different. So what everybody wants to get out of coming out, both on an instance-by-instance basis and like overall as a thing in their life, is quite different. So I don't know necessarily that there is like a right thing to say that will be universally like acceptable upon all comings out. However, without getting into detail, what's happening here doesn't line up with like any of my values or experiences.
1: Yeah, me neither. I mean, we've talked about this before, but I, I can talk a little bit about my experience, which is my preferred reaction to me coming out a zero reaction. I want you to just be like rolling along with the rest of the conversation. And when someone takes a pause to say, thank you, I want to like murder everyone in the vicinity. That's not the case for everybody. Some people find it really affirming to hear like a thank you for telling me or whatever. So, so I don't think there is such a thing as a universal acceptance.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Where my, my preferred reaction would be assimilate the information with no reaction and, and move on.
1: And I know for a fact, because I've seen people blog about it, that other people would find that to be incredibly dismissive and not honoring their feelings. So like there's a real, yeah, there's no perfect answer. I would never beat you up. I can't believe that you would possibly think that I would. And also I'm the guy who people come out to It's not a good response. (laughs) Like, I think, I feel pretty safe saying like, it's well-intended, I see how that, I mean, you know, (laughs) Shitty is also not a real person, so like, he can't have intentions, but I think that like, the way that the narrative's building it is well-intended, and I think that like, we're supposed to read it as reassuring, as you said, and I think that we're supposed to sort of be like, haha, what a great friendship. Um, But I just think that like, it starts out okay, the like, cool, thanks. That's fine. Once it gets into like, how dare you
0: suggest that I gay bash you? Like, that's not great. (laughs) And And he follows that up with, you know, a lot of people come out to me. Yeah,
1: that's like not an ideal behavior. And I just feel pretty confident in saying that it's not, the, the, the message it sends is like not perfect. We'll just leave it at that.
0: Oh, yeah. But a lot of people who aren't me and you do seem to feel this is really good and they're very satisfied with how this plays out or at least that's what most of the conversation about this particular strip has been the entire time i've been around and in fact i don't believe i've ever heard a critique of this particular strip until we started doing it tonight i do want to make it very clear that like we understand this is not a universal read of this particular like exchange.
1: I think that we will have to say that about many of our understandings of coming strips. We understand that. Not everybody sees it this way and that's fine.
0: I mean, look, some things it's like, okay, the thing about how like she hasn't substantiated within the text of the comic that like Shitty and Jack are best friends, like I'm not taking debate on that. Like, I think that's true. But yes, I think the interpretation of this is like a an instance of coming out that like went well or like is good or like a... Quality depiction. Somebody else, I'm sure, will have a different opinion, and I think that's also fine and valid and...
1: I want to point a little bit to Biddy's reaction as well, especially after I thought I had a goddamn sign taped to my back that said, we'll affirm all sexual identities, which... That's great, Uh, (laughs) Shitty. Biddy's reaction, uh, you really just took this coming out thing in stride. It's so depressing to me. I don't know. Like, oh, the thing is that if I look at these two characters and don't think about this strip as like representative of good coming out, I actually think this is kind of great characterization. Like, Biddy does something really vulnerable, Shitty said something slightly dismissive, and Biddy eats it up with a spoon because he has self-esteem problems in relation to sexuality or something like that's actually kind of great characterization you really just took this coming out thing in stride as sort of like a like an incredibly depressing indictment of what we can expect as queer people is is actually really
0: interesting well he's making it sound like Biddy's coming out is something that happened to shitty yeah. And also something bad that happened to shitty.
1: Like, like you really took it in stride champ, You got, you know, you took the loss. Well, you took it for the team. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like
0: bananas. I, I will say that like, if it were later revealed that one of those five coming comings out had been Jack, that would have been nice. That would have created some sort of, like, logical continuity. Or it would have been, like, indicative of thought put into, like, how these characters
1: interrelate. I remember rereading and rereading this strip that moment and, like, being completely convinced that Jack was one of those five people and thinking it was so smart.
0: You'd think Uh, it was, wouldn't you? And so many people, like, write about this. And there's so many like, really good, well, I don't know. There's enough really good fix about that being part of it. Shitty's understanding of Jack in a way that nobody else really has, just like deepens their relationship in such a satisfying way. It's just like such a lost opportunity. And this is something where you absolutely could have retconned it, like, down the road. I mean, we can talk about coming out and kind of the
1: broader, check these context a little bit, uh, too. But I'm curious, what do you think this specific strip, what are its politics around coming out and the appropriate response? Like, what what's the message that it's sending? purposefully or not purposely, I'm not saying that, like,
0: this is Ngozi's gay propaganda. But, like, what do you think... Oh, it is, is it not? Um, I guess the message that it's tacitly sending is that you should not be afraid to come out to everybody, because they will all be jolly good-natured souls who take it in stride. And then you'll feel better, and the openness that exists between the two of you will just strengthen your relationships.
1: I agree. And I think that that's like a very nice escapist view of coming out. And it's I mean, also- that's
0: not how I feel about it personally. I think that's what this strip is communicating. I think when you apply that to a real life situation, it gets a little stickier.
1: That's what I was about to say. I agree that that's what it's communicating. And I think it's like a sort of like fun escapist way of thinking about coming out that might be gratifying for some people. And it also makes me feel crazy. And like, I don't mean to say that check please is like how people should live their lives or that anyone is taking it as like advice, but it's a weirdly kind of... Ugh! I don't even like saying this, but I'm going to say it. I think it's like a sort of irresponsible message about coming out. I don't think anyone's like, "Well, Biddy did it, so I can do it, and I'll be fine." But I, I and I'm not meaning to suggest that this comic, especially when it was being just like put out for free on Tumblr in 2014, I'm not suggesting it has the same kind of cultural impact that like a major film or TV series or book or whatever might have. Um, And and I'm not meaning to suggest that, like, fiction makes people live their lives in particular ways. Especially because of the way that, in retrospect, this comic becomes this, like, representative queer media. It feels like a, if not irresponsible, let me take that word away, but let me say weirdly reductive approach to what coming out is and can be. Because coming out is not always going to end well. Sometimes it puts you in danger. Sometimes you have to make... Specific, yeah, case by case decisions on which relies entirely on your ability to gauge what danger you will be in if someone knows this information about you. And that's a lot of work. And I think that to suggest that no worries, the hockey bros at this gay college aren't going to have a weird conservative backlash to the culture of the college and aren't going to like um, mess with you without having done a lot of characterization work to ground that in is weirdly reductive.
0: There are a lot of experiences in between that which is being depicted here, which is like uniform, overly exuberant acceptance, performative acceptance, and being put in danger. There is so much gray area in the middle where you don't get the response you necessarily wanted But it's also not like, oh, well, I've killed this relationship because this person is a bigot. End of story. That's something that this comic has, I think, mixed success in depicting. And we'll talk about it when we get there. People love hearing that in this podcast. There's a lot of situations where it's like, you wouldn't necessarily be in danger if you told somebody this, but it might make things awkward. You know, this isn't a, this isn't like a high value enough situation where you necessarily want to introduce that. Or it might be that like, you know, coming out necessitates that you then have to do a lot more work to like answer questions and like, give voice to your experiences and, like, go through a whole, like, performance of queerness that you don't necessarily want to make. So it's easier to just, like, do and say nothing because you don't want to have to, like, go through that whole thing, like, with this person or, like, in this location.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I also think something that this comic isn't isn't so great with is, like, As you said, it's different for everybody. And that's true with the reception of this information as well. So one person might have a totally exuberant performative acceptance. Another person might have a more hesitant acceptance. Another person, and again, we'll talk about this when we get there, but another person might need a long time to come to terms with it, even though they still love you. And what does that look like? Like what is the process of loving somebody and needing to have long, horrible conversations with them about something or or whatever, or not even long, or or just like existing in silence with them for a while. Or like, there's all sorts of ways that can play out, right? What if like one person on the hockey team still liked Biddy and didn't want to be a dick, but wasn't cool with it and had to go through a process of coming to terms with what that means about themselves and about the relationship with Biddy, like that would be a really complicated, interesting thing that is about coming out and is also nuanced and complicated. And I think that when we see the response of like, not only shitty, but everybody on the hockey team being 100% okay with it right away, no problem it creates a reductive narrative about what coming out is.
0: Yeah, I mean, we have in the hockey team 20-plus guys from a diversity of, like, places and experiences and countries and backgrounds. And even within the group of, like, you know holster ransom shitty and jack we have four completely different people who are coming from four completely different places who have four completely different experiences they're all different ages like one of them is from another country i'm not saying i expect that necessarily any one of those four people would have like a knee-jerk bigoted reaction to this but this comic book doesn't really, like, create its characters by giving a diversity of reactions to things. Everything is uniform. Everybody reacts to everything the same way. The response is always like, oh, as a group, we're all on the same page with this. The fact that, like, these four people don't all have their own response to this sort of like does a disservice to the general point about college is a place where a diversity of people from a diversity of backgrounds come together and like intermesh with each other
1: yeah two of them are from
0: a different country yeah oh i forgot that's right jack is from canada yeah Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how I forgot that. It's pretty fundamental. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I have done this really stupid thing where I started getting really interested in coming out within this comic, and I flipped through the whole comic. Yes, that's right, the whole comic. And I kind of wrote down all of the instances of coming out that i could find like in individual strips i think there are going to be many different opportunities for us to come back and like pick this conversation back up i have counted 11 or possibly 12 what i'll call cases or instances of coming out within the comic So I'm not doing this by individual strips. However, some of them are isolated to individual strips, but rather sort of like cases within the life of Biddy where there is an instance of somebody coming out or I'm kind of grouping like being outed within this category, like within the narrative. So we've got this one, the closet story. We don't have another one, as far as I'm aware, until those two comics that end fall semester of year three and then start spring semester of year three, with maybe one exception, which I'll get to at the end of this list. So that's 3.11 and 3.12. Then again, in 3.13, the conversation that Biddy and Jack have in a comic called Riverside, Jack mentions that he's disclosed his relationship with Biddy to his parents. So it's not quite, I think, like, Jack is already out to his parents in whatever sense that is, but about their relationship, he essentially... Discloses it to them. Then in the next comic, 314, Monday in the Park with George, Jack comes out to George. Next comic, 315, Dinner at Marty's, Jack comes out to Marty. First mention of Marty on the Check Displaced podcast. If I knew how to, like, edit in an air horn, maybe I would right now. And then a couple comics later, 318, Family Skate. That is where Jack comes out to the rest of the Falconers and then he brings Biddy um, along as his boyfriend for the first time. Then we have the whole arc at the end of year three and the beginning of year four about their kiss following the Stanley Cup final. Then Jack kind of like, even though he's already come out by kissing, he has a sort of conversation around coming out in 4.3, which is Presser. (laughs) Then, in 4.4, Biddy finally comes out to his parents in Calling Home. There's then another arc about Biddy sort of dealing with his dad in fall semester year four. And then there's also a much wider arc about drama surrounding whiskey. My asterisk here is about the parse arc at the end of fall semester year two. I think that's a gray area. I think it was sort of being implied that this was an affirmation that Jack was into guys that we hadn't had before, especially because during his argument with Kent, Kent says, are you afraid I'll tell your team something? Which is, I think, like a, pretty clear indication of, like, the threat of being outed. But it's also, like, it seems like Biddy, who's overheard this thing, picked up none of it and, like, internalized none of it. So I'm not sure it really belongs on this list. But if you look at all of this, what you're seeing is basically that this is very sparsely discussed in the first couple of years. And then... Around years three and four, it becomes like a huge dominant part of the narrative. And a couple of these things I've called like arcs, they often span over like multiple comics, like three, four, five, six comics. And I think it's going to give us a lot of opportunities to sort of talk about what we think about the place of coming out within Please.
1: Not that I didn't know that coming out was such a part of the latter half of the comic. It it was in my frustrations with how it was portrayed as part of my frustration with the comic. But I think I didn't, like, internalize how completely dominant it became. It was, like, the three threads become Jack and Biddy are in love, which is connected to Jack and Biddy coming out. But, like, there are other characters whose sexuality is explored as well. And then characters come out and then, like, hockey those are like the sort of three main threads i would say of the last two years and so i started wondering you know what kinds of stories can be told about gay people that aren't coming out centric surprise i have a lot of opinions about this but like i guess what i mean is what kinds of stories could have been told in this comic about the gay characters or queer characters that aren't about coming out Is coming out, like, a necessary part of this story because of the sports in it? Is, I mean, obviously, like, homophobia in sports, and particularly in hockey, is a huge topic for discussion. Maybe coming out always had to be part of this narrative because of that. Are there actually any story arcs for a queer character in this comic that aren't related to relationships and coming out? Is there anything that a queer character does that isn't somehow implicitly about coming out that
0: involves in any way their sexuality? Well, it's tangled up, isn't it? Because I would love to say that Biddy becoming captain of the hockey team, learning how to take and give a check, and also winning the Frozen Four and graduating college is a story that isn't about gayness necessarily, but the comic makes it about it. Jack doesn't get to win the Stanley Cup without also coming out.
1: Not that there's a bad thing about, like not, I'm not trying to say that that's necessarily bad, but just that those two things are inherently connected because of the way they happen in the comic. Biddy doesn't get to graduate from college without getting fucking gay engaged. Like, there's also not a bad thing, but those things are inherently connected because of the way the narrative is structured. And so, like, what does that tell us about coming out and markers of adulthood? And then what does that mean about those comics politics about coming out?
0: It's kind of weird. Um, It's like the overriding political message of this comic is that you need to come out and be open and have like, you need to project a sort of sense of self outwardly to the world in order to holistically and healthily exist within it.
1: And that is true for some people. It's not universally true for all people. And it's not always true for the same person in different circumstances. But
0: yeah, I mean, I think the comic is, you know, even here in these two strips about Biddy's coming out story, I think the um, comic is starting to create problems for itself. Because if you're going to introduce professional hockey in the form of the NHL, like we're not talking about some fictional hockey league she made up. talking about a real hockey league that actually exists and an actual sport where like homophobia is a big actual thing that it's part of it. You either need to do one of two things. You need to deal with that or you need to, from the get-go, establish that this is a universe where that is not part of it and now we can tell a different story about the characters. Like, to be completely honest, you know, a story about Biddy figuring out what he wants to do with his life would have been just as good with or without the coming out shit. And a story about Jack dealing with, you know, his what Ngozi constantly calls daddy issues and also, you know, figuring out how to manage his anxiety and stay in the NHL without having a mental breakdown would have also been a really good story with or without like homophobia lurking in the background of it. Now, me personally for my own like individual tastes, I think that a comic that like engages with, you know, the idea of like queer culture and queer interiority and like what it means to be like a gay person is something that I always want to hear about. I'm really interested in that. I think that's really great. I think that this sort of bizarre half measure that's introduced is deeply dissatisfying. I will say the comic at one point attempts to negotiate this and give a little nuance. That Whiskey arc does end with him basically saying to Biddy, I can't be like you, I can't be out. And Biddy is like, that's fine. And like, that's the end of that arc. And obviously we'll talk about it when we get there in more depth, but I do think that was like a really last-minute attempt to try to communicate that, okay, maybe this isn't the strategy that's going to work for everybody. I think it falls flat, but, you know, we have a while to get there and we can talk about it when we do. I even think
1: that for Jack and Biddy, there's an attempt at
0: nuance, which then doesn't pan out. So, yeah, we'll talk about it. But it's also like, what's the politics within the comic of coming out? I mean, yeah, it's basically like a, it's basically like, um, you know, a story about how, like, first you come out, then you get married. Yeah. Uh, Not to be like this, but the trajectory that these characters, I guess, like, you know, Biddy and Jack specifically all take is just like the most depressing, like heteronormative capitalist march into assimilation politics. And I know this is like a highly controversial thing and not everyone is going to have the same tech on it that I do, and that's totally cool. But the more I think about it as we go along, in our rereading here in this podcast, the thing that I'm seeing over and over again in the text is that Check, Please has no interest in dismantling anything. There's a lot of paratext, especially in a marketing sense, about how toxic masculinity is bad and having somebody like Biddy who doesn't, visibly fit that mold on your hockey team is a challenge to toxic masculinity. But the comic itself, nowhere in the text, seems to be like calling into question the very systems or like the very fabric of the social mechanisms that create these problems. What's so interesting is that in a lot of the kind of promotional and marketing materials, we get the author speaking to how that is part of her project, but I just can't see it in the text. I think
1: that as we go forward, it will become more and more evident that a lot of work I thought the narrative was doing In fact, the marketing, the paratext, and the blog posts we're doing. And I think that the dismantling of toxic masculinity, homophobia in sports, romance, love, I think a lot of that comes from an authorial hand and not a narrative hand.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, so one of the things that I propose we do as we head into the next strip, I know I spoke to this a little bit before, is use that final installment of the story that winds up Biddy's first semester of college to kind of step back and reassess. Like, what are we being challenged on? What are we seeing that we weren't seeing before? Are there any patterns emerging? You know, that kind of shit. Sounds good to me. Is there anything else you want to throw out about like homophobia or, you know, whatever?
1: I have a question that I wrote down here, which I didn't read aloud, but I'm going to read out now. Is, check please, gay icon of our times,
0: kind of homophobic? So let's just percolate about that and come back to it. I guess my question in response to that question, which I do think is a very provocative question, is how are we defining homophobic? I don't know. I think there's lots of ways. I think there are some
1: ways in which this comic absolutely is not homophobic. And then I think there are kind of subtle, little subtle curiosities that are maybe worth unpacking. I think right now I don't mean the sort of like obvious, I hate gay people kind of homophobia. That's clearly not happening. But I think right now what I mean is, does this comic assert a reality or a fictional version of reality in which queer experiences are reduced or erased or portrayed in ways that are not nuanced in such a way that the conclusions one draws upon reading are in some way harmful, question mark? That's a really hard word to define. Is there something about the way Check Please is told and about the the implicit messages in its narrative that contribute to discussion of queer identities in a way that is not productive in dismantling homophobic structures in narrative, and society, whatever?
0: I mean, my answer at this point is going to be, yes, in some ways it is. But I think this is a really, really, really messy topic. I will, I tend to, in my own thinking, again, this isn't something I usually vocalize, but it is something that I think I vocalized on this podcast before. It's more like a thought mechanism for myself. I make a distinction between bigotry, somebody being like, hey, F word, I'm going to beat you up, or I have no son, I don't think that gays should serve in the military, like that level of homophobia that is largely reactionary and interpersonal, and also the kind of larger systems that structure experiences around a presumed heteronormative bias. Oftentimes, the comic does inadvertently fall back to the latter. However, I will also raise the point, because it can't be said enough, that the queer community is a melange of different people with different backgrounds and different experiences and different goals. One of the primary distinctions between, let's just say, factions within the larger community is between people whose view of queer identity and LGBT rights is a project of creating room within heteronormativity to include same-sex relationships and sex and gender diversity. And then there is also... A camp that I tend to more fall into that privileges an expansionist view of dismantling the kind of heteronormative model so that it no longer exists and therefore there is no longer a heteronormative bias inherent in like how society and experience is structured. Yep. Yep. That's cool. And this is something where it's like, obviously I favor one and I just said which one it is, but like plenty of great people have different views of this. I feel like it's pretty obvious where Check, Please is falling in this. Check, Please is drawing on a sort of... (laughs) what I would maybe call like a hyper-positivist 90s and 2000s based model of gayness that posits essentially LGBT liberation should be framed around the idea that, you know, gay people are normal too, and all of this is fine. And... The only difference between a gay person and a straight person is who they're attracted to. That seems to be the model that Check Please is working off of.
1: I tend to fall in a similar not identical, probably, but similar camp in terms of my political priorities, let's say, um, as you do. So I have my own relationship to sort of that model. And I don't think there's a simple answer to this question by any means. And I don't even know if it's totally answerable. It's just something I that occurred to me that I started wanting to think about. Like, Um, And I also want to be very, very clear that I'm not talking about Ngozi. I don't want to speculate about her particular views or her life. I'm specifically talking about the narrative and the messages that I think are kind of like in the narrative. Obviously, despite, you know, Bart's killing the author like 60 years ago, it's hard to completely disentangle an author from... A piece of art, especially a piece of art which so clearly shows the author's hand. But I just want to be clear: I'm, I'm really not trying to engage with that at all because I don't know anything about Ngozi. I'm really trying to think about like, what's happening in this narrative, what message is it sending, and how do I feel about it, right? And I don't think that my opinion is necessarily more valuable than someone else's, even, although obviously like it's valuable to me because it's mine. So, so I'm, I'm gonna try to like draw conclusions about the comic by the time we finish. But I don't think that that's the only opinion that can exist. I think it can exist alongside other opinions.
0: I have very firm sort of political belief that speculating publicly about her personal life is not okay. But there is a point at which I would have a lot more trust to put into this narrative if I felt like it was coming from somebody who had experiences similar to mine, but weighed them differently, if that makes sense. It does. And I also am a strong believer that who writes what kinds of stories ought not to be policed. And I've obviously gotten quite a lot out of this comic. I guess from a certain perspective, it doesn't really matter. I think we'll end up wrestling a bit in the future over how much does the author matter? Isn't the DNA and the sort of genetic code of the author's feelings and beliefs imprinted on the text and you can't really like pull it apart?
1: Yeah, that's what I struggle with as well. I am of a complicated mind about who tells which stories I think it has much more to do with the structures of how stories get legitimized than who's doing this the storytelling necessarily so there's like structures of institutional all sorts of bigotries et cetera, right which which really make it very difficult to navigate this topic and of course there's also the fact of like is it a good story that's thoughtfully engaging with its material? I just think it's really, really complicated, and and so I also want to like propose something. One more thing. Another proposal, since I think I did one earlier this episode. Questions don't have to have static answers. I don't think that this question has a static or easy answer. I just think it's worth thinking about and kind of like moving through. I think not being able to draw easy conclusions, but people wanting to draw easy conclusions has been one of my most difficult experiences of being a part of this fandom. And so I just want to say that that's like kind of not how I personally operate. I'm really interested in investigating these difficult questions, and I don't think that they have to have, like, one-time answers or simple answers.
0: The last thing I will say about this particular strip at the very end, having gotten through all of that, is that, yes, the title of these two installments is a reference to a prior webcomic that Ngozi had made. It's incomplete. She did it while she was at Yale. And it is about a group of friends who like work at a coffee shop, like opening a magical closet in the basement, and famous authors come out of it. It's relatively well done for like how early she made it in her career, but also it's like really boring. And by the time like the second or the third author came out of the closet, I was just like, I just, I don't even want to read this anymore. As far as I could tell, it didn't actually have anything to do with gayness. The first guy who comes out of the closet is Oscar Wilde, but then it just seems to be like whoever. I've tried to read it. I haven't been able to make it all the way through.
1: I have had a similar experience where I was charmed, and then I became less and less charmed, and then finally I was like, it's not even finished. Why am I reading this? And then I moved on with my life.
0: Yeah, but like for a comic that's not finished, I definitely like got bored like before it ended. It's interesting to look at if you're interested in her work because it's like fun
1: to follow along an artist's work. And I think its visuals are stronger than its storytelling as well. So you can kind of see this pattern in her writing emerge where she has this wonderful sense of visual storytelling, really effective, thoughtful character design. And then like sort of where it fizzles is the, is the structure of the plot.
0: But go check it out. It's linked in one of these blog posts. So next time on Checked Is Pleased, we are going to look at the strip 14.5 Winter Screw. And this is a strip that was a year one Kickstarter bonus. It was like a stretch goal. And it is in the back of the year one Kickstarter book on page 214 is where it starts. I think it's also in the hashtag hockey book, but I don't own that book. So uh, I'm sure it's in the table of contents or maybe not. But point being, that's where we're going. We'll also use that episode to be a little bit of a wrap up on the first semester of Biddy at Samwell. Playing the hockey, disclosing his gayness. And the rest. Where can people find you if they want to hear you talk about these wonderful topics or others? Well, if people haven't basically like cut their ears off and uh, thrown them into a ditch at this point, they can look me up at Camilliar on Tumblr. C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R. I'm also Familiar on AO3 where I have excised um, some of my feelings in the form of fanfic. How about you? People can
1: find me at tomatowrites.tumblr.com. Usually, it's really stupid, but you can find me there, um, or you can find my own working through check please feelings in the form of fanfic at tomato underscore greens on AO3.
0: And this podcast is on Podbean. It's on Spotify. It's coming soon to iTunes? Question mark. And we also have a Tumblr at checkthisplease.tumblr.com, and we love followers. Our content is really top-notch. Vote in our poll. Rate and review. Leave a review in the iTunes store. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: it's been lovely talking. I think we should do that thing where we say bye,
0: bye, bye. Bye, tomato.